Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Welcome, friends, to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast today. Uh, super excited again about my guest. Little background, Jeff Pinkleton here. I do a ministry. Uh, is my my day job, my life, my assignment in serving the Lord is called the Gathering of the Miami Valley, and I am a huge fan and love to check out guys in the business world who really treat their business as something from the Lord and something to serve the Lord with. And I've been very blessed to know some people who do that. I think often we want to label a business a Christian business, which I kind of hate that term because there's no such thing as a Christian business. There's people who follow Jesus who are Christians, but no such thing as a Christian business. And I've been blessed over the last several days to read a great book called Making Life Better, The Correct Craft Story, written by Bill Jurgen from Central Florida area, the Orlando area. And a couple friends of mine are friends with him on some level. And we got connected and Bill has been incredible to uh, respond quickly and often. And I, I'm not afraid to reach out and ask some questions. And uh, so I'm excited to talk a little bit about Bill's journey today to talk about the correct craft story and uh, um, welcome, Bill. Welcome, Jeff. It's a real pleasure to be with you. And I appreciate you making the time. And uh, well, Bill, let's get let's get going here. What share with us kind of your three minute, if you will, testimony of before you came to Christ, coming to Christ, and what that was like, and what made you say, okay, this Jesus thing is real and legit, and I want to give my life to Him. Yeah, that's a great uh, question, Jeff. I, you know, I grew up in a Christian family. I had a great mom and dad who invested in our family. You know, we grew up in church, actually grew up in Christian school. So I became a Christian young and, and really don't know a life pre-faith being important uh, to our family and to me. And uh, ended up uh, graduating from the Christian school, going into the business, uh, going into the business community. And as I said, uh, married a gal who I had known from uh, our school, our Christian school, and she'd gone to our church too. So I really, you know, grew up in faith. Had a bit of a moment of really reinforcing my faith in the late 90s. My dad uh, died young of Parkinson's disease. And my dad, Jeff, was the best guy you've ever met. I mean, mm -hmm. the highest integrity, just, you know, the best father. You know, I, ne I never had a sports event, a school event, anything, the dad wasn't there and encouraging me. And he was a deacon in our church, Sunday school teacher, bus driver, you know, on and on. And dad got Parkinson's disease and I died in the late nineties. That was a real, real tough time for me. I never questioned my faith, but I've got to tell you, I had to wonder why God would allow that to happen to somebody like him, mm -hmm. because he was such a special person. I, I know I'm biased. He's my dad, but I think anybody uh, anybody that really took a look at his life would know that. In fact, I've written a book about it called uh, What Would Dad Say? that talks a little bit about that experience in, in him. But after dad passed away, I really started digging into my faith. I mean, I just really wanted to, as I said, I'd grown up in church, grown up, 
you know, a Christian family, but really started digging it, reading all kinds of books about apologetics. And it really was a time of reinforcement you know, my faith. And really what was the catalyst for me was when I realized that, you know, we've got an earthly perspective, but God has an eternal perspective. Mm, and da- dad's days here um, were shorter than I would have liked, but in the scope of eternity, you know, it's not really going to matter a whole lot. You know, I miss him still today, 20 years later, of course, but, you know, in the scope of eternity, we'll be together. And so, and I know his, what he went through was used for good. And so, you know, really digging into the apologetics, really, you know, taking that eternal perspective uh, made a, made a big difference for me. And um, it helped me understand that time. Mm-hmm. You know, I just did a funeral recently and I've heard this said prior to me doing those. I've done a several funerals now. And if you ask a pastor, do you prefer a funeral or a wedding? Uh, the joke is that they're going to say a funeral every time because there's no mother, the bride. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's something about funerals where it really is about the people that are left that hear and know and honor the person's life. And I really appreciate that, you know, this, from what you said that you um, kind of ramped up your faith based on your dad's passing. And obviously, as you said, it was too soon or whatever, but, um, and clearly as I've read, you've left an indelible mark and then someone will continue to talk since we're going to land the plane on correct craft for most of this conversation, talk a little bit about your life professionally pre-correct craft. So I, uh, graduated high school, went to school, uh, was convinced by an accounting professor to study accounting. So I got my accounting degree, got my CPA. And at 21, I was working for the world's largest CPA firm and everything was sort of on track, but, uh, Realized pretty quickly, Jeff, that that wasn't for me. You know, I'm just not an accounting type of guy. I, mean, I appreciate them, I value them, but really wasn't what I wanted to do. So went back on my MBA, started to focus more on uh, the business side. And in early 90s, uh, went to work, actually went back to work for a company called Rybovich that um, I was asked to come back. Um, I was good friends with the owner there and worked for him for a short time before. And he'd asked me to come back. He had a real mess on his hands. He'd acquired three companies and uh, merged them into Rybovich. He had, he was losing a lot of money. He was during the luxury tax time period for boats, which was really tough on the boating industry. And the company was in a recession. The country was in a recession. So I had a good job and I thought I'd be at my other job forever, but decided to take a chance. I was 30. I knew I could get a job. And I thought, well, this is a mess, but this would be a good opportunity to use some of the skills I've learned. I went back and uh, had a great experience there and had the opportunity to talk about that experience, Jeff, at a conference. Uh, somebody had asked me, this was in the early 90s, somebody had asked me to come and talk about the turnaround that happened at Rybovich and how our team did it. And in that crowd, there was a magazine publisher and the magazine publisher came up to me afterwards and asked me if I'd be interested in writing for his magazine, a monthly column on leadership. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. I've never done anything like that before, but I'll give it a try. So I started writing and writing for him for about 15 years. I actually still write for him today, but it's, it led to a, a path I didn't expect. I started getting invited, Jeff, to travel all over the world speaking at conferences. So I went to Asia, Australia, South America, Africa. The only place I haven't spoken is Antarctica and started getting invited to speak at these conferences. So um, that was great. Was enjoying that. So most of my 90, most of the nineties were just sort of a blur of working at Rybovich and writing and speaking. And then in early about 2005, I was approached by Correct Craft 
And they had a mess on their hands. I write about it in the book. You know, they're going through a number of CEOs, transition from family management to professional management. And they'd asked me to come be their CEO. They'd had three CEOs in three years. I'd have been the fourth in four years and just didn't feel right about it. Um, really um, didn't feel like that's what we we're supposed to do. I was really entrenched in my community down in South Florida. And so I passed up on the opportunity with well, the CEO they hired uh, lasted about a year. So now they had four CEOs in four years. And they came back to me and said, hey, will you be our fifth guy in five years? And I wasn't really that much more enthused about it, but really some divine uh, interaction took place and thought, you know what, I need to move to Orlando and take this opportunity. I never aspired to be CEO. I was actually on track to become a consultant. I was going to leverage some of the relationships I'd established doing the speaking and writing to become a consultant, but came up to Orlando and uh, it was a mess. It was a mess. And, um, but uh, we made it through. And about the time we started to get a little stability, we had uh, the Great Recession, lost 90% of our business, Jeff, overnight, 90%. It, that blew my mind when I read that in the book. I thought, I can't imagine how you move forward. Like that to me would just be so discouraging. Like I'm done. Yeah. It's, you know, be a pastor that had 90% of their members, you know, leave on the same Sunday, you know, or uh, mm -hmm. I told my dentist, I'd be like 90% of your patients, you know, called and canceled one day, you know, sure. so that was, it was a really rough time for our business, but we made it through that. And then we started uh, growing. We've grown like crazy. You know, we now have 15 locations across the United States. We have several boat brands. I got an engine company, transmission company. We've got an innovation company. We've got water parks. The last decade, we've grown like crazy. I write about it in the book. And uh, things are good. You know, we're continuing to continuing to grow. And uh, I've been here now, it's hard to believe, 14 and a half years. Well, and you know, again, the, the title of the book is Making Life Better, which is shared many times, many ways throughout the book. The Correct Craft Story, and you have a book uh, that's pretty new now called The Education of a CEO. We'll get to that in a moment, but um, I'm curious, have you read Robert Iger's book, Ride of a Lifetime? Yeah, sure. It was a great book. When I read that, there were two people I told you that I thought uh, really struck a chord and made me think of you as I'm reading that was John Beckett, who we just made a connection with you and John Beckett, who's a, yeah. a, a kind of a longtime friend of mine now up in Elyria, Ohio. And he wrote a book that did really well called Loving Monday, but also mm -hmm. Iger's book, Ride of a Lifetime, because one of the things I really appreciated about him was starting, you know, I think he worked on a TV show as like a little production guy or whatever, ended up yeah. being the head of Disney. And I just saw a lot of parallels between you and him, what, since you read that book, what did you pick up from that book that impacted you? Or did you see yourself in there like I do, or talk about Iger compared to yourself in the book? Well, I would never even remotely compare myself to Robert Iger. You know, he's a very, very you know, successful CEO, ran a very large company. And, um, but, uh, you know, I, a lot of interesting stories in the book. I just enjoyed reading his path and he did. I think he started out as an intern, right on a soap opera or something. If mm -hmm. I remember right. And, uh, you know, worked his way up to the CEO of Disney. And I think, you know, he, there were a lot of things that resonated with me related to, you know, how he viewed business and trying to have a bigger picture view and how he handles, um, you know, difficult situations. He wrote in the book about, you know, when Disney had the child attacked by an alligator and, mm -hmm. you know, very, very unfortunate, difficult situation. Thankfully, you know, we haven't had anything like that, but just his approach to people, the team, the organization. I really enjoyed the book. 
Well, yeah, and I think that's it. I think the way he addresses the people, kind of a Jim Collins, right people in the bus in the right seat, innovation, taking technology, all those. I mean, there were definitely, and I can re- respect your humility to say it's not the same thing as Disney. Because one of the things in that book that really blew my mind was he talked about, I'm sure you remember this, that anything in the world that happens, 9-11, Vegas shootings, you name it, it touches Disney somehow. So obviously none of us are living at that scale, but there was definitely some parallels for me with with you and him and just kind of your way to think and do business and make the right calls and do cutbacks when you need to and various things like that. So and let, me, let me ask you, one of, the, one of the things in the book that you speak a lot about and make sure we don't get off track of talking about the education of a CEO, but you talk a lot about the three Ps, people, performance, philanthropy. And as I yeah. said to you in an email, I would add a fourth. I think partnerships are very clear with Correct Craft and your personal philosophy. Speak a little bit about those. Yeah, we have a we have an identity pyramid that really helps capture all of our values, and I describe it in the book. Uh, and th- those are, you know, we start the top of our pyramid is building boats to the glory of God. That was found, started by our founder in 1925, uh, W.C. Maloon, and carries on you know, with us today. Out of that flows what we call making life better. Making life better is our why. You know, we want to make life better, Jeff, on every single person we come in contact with. And so uh, even our competitors, you know, we want to make life better on everyone. Really what helps us do that is what we call people performance and philanthropy. And um, each one of those areas are critically important. And we want to, we want to treat people right. We want to give our team opportunities to grow and develop and become the best uh, people that they can. We want to give them an opportunity to serve. And so really investing in people, and not just our own team, but our vendors, our partners. I mean, you mentioned the partnership. I think, as you know, as I view it, partners really fall into the people portion because we have a, we do have a lot of really wonderful, uh, wonderful partners. The performance is um, you know important. And people get confused on this sometimes, Jeff, because they hear that you know, we have a faith culture. They hear that we have a philanthropic piece to our company. And so they think that you're not high performance or that you don't focus on performance. Well, we can't do what we want to do for culture and philanthropy without being a high performance company. So we're a strategic plan driven company. All of our organizations under CorrectCraft, I'm the CEO of CorrectCraft. We've got about 30 companies under CorrectCraft. Um, most of them have strategic plans. And, you know, we operate with a real focus on the future. We're going to be looking ahead towards the future. We talk about being market driving, not market driven. You know, most uh, companies focus on getting their market research and doing what the market wants. We want to give it the market what it doesn't even know that it wants yet. You know, we're very focused on continuous improvement, Lean Six Sigma. So we want to be a very high performance company. And the third P, philanthropy, this is really important to me and, and, a lot of the things that we've tried to do, you know, since I've been here, have really been focused on, you know, how do we make life better on people that will never buy one of our boats? In many cases, we'll never see again. And it starts out, you know, internally, you know, obviously, you know, our team will see again, but we want to be a good resource to our team when our team needs us and our local communities, all of our companies. And as I said, we're 15 locations across the country. All of our companies have community service projects that they work on. And we'll work for orphanages or do lake cleanups. We've built several houses for Habitat for Humanity, where we've actually paid for the house and sent employees out to do the work. We've worked with 
Coalition for the Homeless, Give Kids the World, an organization that worked with Make-A-Wish Foundation to help kids that are going to Disney as they're, you know, sort of terminal, have terminal illness and going to Disney and they stay there at uh, Give Kids the World. So we work with a lot of different organizations. All of our companies um, are, you know, in food programs and backpacks for kids, needy kids, all this kind of stuff. And, and we're happy to help our, our local communities. Probably the thing that's the most unique, Jeff, under philanthropy is our global service. Uh, in the last 14 and a half years, I've taken employees all around the world serving. We've been to Cambodia, India, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, all across the Caribbean, I think almost every Central American country and here in the U.S. And we'll go and we'll build a house for a homeless family in some poor area of the world. We'll work in an orphanage. We'll work with a school. You know, we've painted, we've built desks, we've built soccer goals for schools. And we do, you know, all kinds of work for different organizations that we come in contact with that really need us. We've worked with a couple of organizations that are fighting human trafficking. And, you know, that's uh, been very impactful for our team. So we take our team, uh, as I said, literally all over the world uh, serving. And we know likely we'll never see these people again. Likely, not likely, there's almost no chance they'll ever buy one of our boats or, you know, be able to, we'll be able to benefit financially from them other than we just want to go and serve them and we want to help. And it's interesting because people say to me sometimes, they'll say, wow, isn't that expensive? And it is expensive, but the impact that it has, Jeff, on our culture is immeasurable because I tell, I speak at our orientation here every Monday morning and I always tell them our new employees that, you know, we want to build great boats. We want to make money. We want to be able to pay people well and give bonuses, but we also want to use our platform to make a difference and use our platform for good. And we've got a great platform, you know, we're in 70 countries around the world, you know, in addition to our locations, you know, in the U S and so uh, we've got a great platform. People know about our company. Um, We're not a huge company, but we are well known all over the world. And so we want to use that for good. Well, so, it's interesting it, what you said about being known all over the world because I've mentioned Correct Craft the last several days to people, and they're like, oh, yeah. I mean, people are definitely familiar. And I think when you talked about it, definitely stood out to me in a book the whole difference between market driving and market driven innovation is a word that's used a lot in a book. There's humility with pretty much everything you're saying. The philanthropy part, I thought, man, you could write a whole book just to that. If you took that part of the book out and made it its own separate book, two stories in there that I absolutely love is when you had the one guy who had a boat out on a lake and he had ran into a problem with a belt on a Friday night, I think it was. And there was yeah. a guy who was an employee that also had a place on the lake and he went and him, him and a buddy went, took care of it that night. Yeah. Cause this guy had a big experience with family, friends or whatever the next day. And yeah. then I'm going to say this city wrong. Is it Merced? Merced? California. You got to send a hundred people from around the country at different venues of your 30 businesses. And they flew to Merced, Merced, however you say it, and stayed there how many days? And 35 of them used vacation time to do it? Yeah, we had, well, no, more than 35 used vacation time. 35 used vacation time just from our Merced facility. But we had, uh, it was 101 employees, I think, from around the country. We flew to Merced. It's actually a little community just outside Merced where there's 80% poverty rate. It's a little town called Winthrop. And we went there and we just rebuilt their community center. So we came across this lady who runs a community center there and she's just trying to serve. These are people that are very, um, you know, very needy and need help. And she's trying to serve them. 
and her facility had really gotten run down and dilapidated. We went in, we gutted the facility, put in new walls, ceilings, flooring, built a pergola on the back, built a new office area, new landscaping. We just, you know, we took a hundred employees and, and when we take a hundred employees somewhere, Jeff, they have an impact because these are people that are used to build boats and engineers and designers. And so they know what to do. So in fact, I'm the least talented person on the team. <laughs> you say that in the book, you allude to that in the book. Yeah, no, it, well, it's true. I mean, I may have, I don't know. If I, I don't remember what I said, but it was, uh, it was definitely, uh, I'm definitely the least talented person on the team. So I go, I can bring wood, I can bring water. I can, you know, nail stuff in when people tell me, but these are really talented people that we have an impact and we've done that all over the world. It's very exciting. You have to go on a trip with us sometime. Having a sabbatical coming up, uh, we could make something like that work or sometime thereafter. So uh, let's follow up on that piece of the uh, conversation there, Bill. But, you know, one of the things I love in the book, when you talk about that trip, knowing what I do, and I'm a big retreat guy, I think I say a weekend retreat or a week retreat missions trip, going to the Cove in Asheville, North Carolina. We go to Indiana, to Montana, a number of places. It's a year's worth of relationship. And you talked about in there the relationships that were built between people from various companies that fall under that correct craft umbrella. And like you said, you're spending money to do that or they're sacrificing. But what that means for the culture, the team, the relationships, so on and so forth, that's only going to make business that much better when they go back to a regular work schedule. So culture is a big thing for you. There's the famous Peter Drucker quote, culture eats strategy for lunch. I agree with that statement largely, but both are important. Can you speak to the importance of culture and strategy? Sure. Well, we're, we're heavily focused on both. So as I mentioned earlier, Jeff, culture and strategy are both important to us. You know, we're a strategic uh, plan-driven company. And uh, you know, I'm a little bit of an amateur futurist, so I always want to be looking out into the future and uh, seeing what's coming and try to anticipate that and making sure that our company is prepared for that. But culture is also equally important. You know, we've hosted uh, the last two years uh, culture summits for our industry. We had 600 people register for the one that we did just a few weeks ago. And we do it free for our industry. And we'll bring in speakers and share, share the importance of culture. because We believe that it's very, very impactful. For that's amazing. So, you guys truly do give it away. I mean, that's amazing that you do that. You know, I, I don't say this pridefully, but, you know, I get asked this all the time. You know, why do you write? Why do you do this kind of stuff? And, you know, we, you know, making life better, Jeff, is not just a tagline for us. It's our why. It's why we're here. You know, we exist to make life better. And we know that, you know, our competitors take part of this stuff and that's fine. You know, we want to make everybody's life better. Sure. You know, on the showroom floor, we want to sell one of our boats, but um, we know that we can make their employees better, their um, relationships better with culture. So culture and strategy are both critical mm-hmm. to all we do. Amen. Well, let me ask you, I, I like to have a little fun. I got these rapid five, five questions I like to ask. They're pretty okay. much the same across the board and they're goofy, but just give us a little fun break in the action. Bill, what was your favorite childhood snack or cereal? You know, I don't think I've had them in probably 30 plus years, but Fruit Loops. When I was a kid, I loved Fruit Loops. Everybody goes the fruity or chocolate route of Count Chocula or Fruity Pebbles or Boo Berry. So you're right there in line with most people. Yeah, I, I love them. Fruit Loops. That's good. It's, you know what's funny? I tell people I've gone adult. I do like chocolate life. So I've got the adult version of life, but I throw the kid chocolate thing on there too. So 
What about, um, what's your favorite book that you most like to give to other people? You can plug your own, I guess, if you want, but what, <laughs> what book do you like to put in the hands of other people? Well, probably the one, the ones I've given away the most are my own, but the one I recommend the most is uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly mm. Effective People. Uh, you know, I've read that book multiple times. I, I, I love reading, I read dozens of books a year and uh, that's probably, but I don't like reading a book twice. I just, oh, really? the way I'm wired. Okay. Now I, but, but that book I've read, I think probably three times I've taught it through several times and that's just such an impactful book. Yeah. Very, very impactful it, book. It's had a little so, bit of success to it. Just yeah, a yeah. <laughs> yeah. 60 million copies or something. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. So if you're, so you got two daughters, they're, they're adult age and they've, they're out of the house. But if you were doing a trip, let's say with your daughter, son, son-in-laws, whatever. And you guys, I know for me, when we plan a trip and we figure out long drive where we're going to hit lunch, it never quite works, right? Somebody's got to go to the bathroom or we got to stop and like, okay, we're already done. Let's just go ahead and get off. And you see the exit sign and it lists McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, or we'll give some love to our West Coast friends, In-N-Out Burger. Where does your family stop? Well, first of all, my daughters are in their 20s. And I'm very thankful that we still are able to get together for a week each year on vacation. So this we still go through this. But our family is definitely a Chick-fil-A family. And uh, we'll, uh, there wouldn't be any real discussion wow. or debate about that. The only thing we might think about was the fact that we have so many Chick-fil-A's here and we don't have In-N-Out in Florida. So we might think about, well, should we try that? But overall, definitely a Chick-fil-A family. It's interesting. Whenever I ask this question, people either jump on how much they love In-N-Out Burger or that I get the, it's overrated. There's not much in between on really? In-N-Out Burger. People either love it or they think it's overrated. I'm like you, there's Chick-fil-A everywhere. I would go for In-N-Out Burger on that one. But, and I know you said you're not a big movie guy, but I got to ask, like if you were flipping channels and let's say this is old school, not maybe Netflix, if you were to stumble upon a movie, whether it's a documentary or it's a comedy, a drama, a real life piece, whatever, what movie might get you stuck there? And you're like, I can't switch the channel. This is, this is too good. Gotcha. Honestly, I don't even know how to answer that because, you know, I've never, we've never been, you know, we've never, my wife and I've never been movie people. We'll, uh, you know, maybe a good documentary. I like historical fiction. You're going to laugh at this when I was growing up, you know, as a, a kid. I loved uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Oh, <laughs> great memories of that as a kid. That was, yeah. And you, you know what? I saw it, uh, I don't know, two, three, four years ago, something on, it was on Netflix. I don't know if it's on Netflix. It Netflix, somewhere I saw it and I had access and I turned it on and I watched a few minutes. And I remember thinking, what I really like about this, but I got to tell you, then that was like yeah. the best movie ever. You know, it's a one around that era that I actually liked and it probably got, you know, maybe not great reviews or people might forget about it, but Kenny Rogers was in a movie called Six Pack and he was like a NASCAR oh. driver, which is funny because I'm not a big racing fan, but I yeah. love Kenny Rogers' old movie Six Pack that was around that era. So I have to look that up. Yeah. I don't think I've even heard of that. Yeah. Kenny Rogers. The question I love and I love the responses to this is what was your first celebrity crush? Oh boy, you're not, you're probably not even going to remember her, but I, and again, I was just a kid, but Christy McNichol, do you remember? Oh Christy my goodness. You know, what's funny. I've used her as one for mine. I said, when I was real little, Christy McNichol and what was it? Family affair? Yes. Gosh, I don't even remember. Yeah. I know she was just sort of everywhere there for a while when I was a kid. And, and then her brother, know, she, she had a brother she, named Jimmy McNichol. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't pay much attention to him, Jeff. But <laughs> Christy, <yeah. laughs> yep. 
You know what's funny? The answer I've gotten more than any other, maybe I'm interviewing a lot of people close to my age, but is Elizabeth Shue, who was in Adventures in Babysitting and a Cocktail and Karate Kid. And so I always tell people okay. there, there's, you can have your opinion, but that's the actual right answer is Elizabeth Shue. So, oh, is that, was that yours then? Well, that, that that's yours? my number one, but Christy McNichols on my list. So I had, <laughs> I had multiple. So, well, hey, moving is on. Is she Bill, still around? I wonder if she's even still around. I don't know. I mean, Elizabeth Shue or Christy McNichol? Christy McNichol. You know, know I'm not sure. I Googled her a couple of years ago, just thinking about, you know, this is a question I love to ask people in general, but I think she was, um, but there wasn't much info about her. Yeah. But, uh, she's probably fallen off the radar somewhere along the way. Elizabeth Shue has actually been on recently. My, my wife and I is one of our favorite guilty pleasures, the reboot of the karate kid. They do a thing now called uh, Cobra Kai that's been on Netflix and Elizabeth Shue showed up on the last season of that. So is that a series? Yeah, that actually, a it's not a movie anymore. It's now a series. So they've had, I think three seasons and there's, they've either had, I think they've had three seasons and a fourth is supposed to come out. But uh, yeah, we don't want to talk too much about that. Cause I could talk all day about the cheesy eighties factors that go into that show. But uh, my wife is, uh, she's got three black belts. She's got a second degree black belt in Taekwondo and a black belt in Aikido. So what was the name of it again? You said? Uh, Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. All right. I'll mention maybe that's something that she'll want to watch. Well, maybe so. if we know someone in, uh, who, who do we know in Hollywood, maybe we get your wife to be on the uh, season four. Yeah, maybe. To go off we'll against see. Johnny and uh, what's Ralph Macchio's character. I'm trying to think of Ralph Macchio's character's name. I'm blanking on that now, but mm-hmm. Johnny's the guy. They, they kind of flipped roles in the early ones. You liked uh, Ralph Macchio's character and this, you, Johnny, they flipped the script. You, you love Johnny now who was the bad guy originally. So yeah. well, anyway, question I love to ask people like yourself is, you know, you're giving a lot to other people. What does it look like and who pours into you? You know, my, at my church, you know, we've got a good church that we go to here in central Florida. I'm part of a men's group that meets once a month. We read a book a month and we meet through the church. We go uh, meet with them. Uh, Our team here, you know, correct craft. One of the things we talk about is being highly assertive, highly cooperative. You know, I want our team to give me input and I ask for a lot of input. Uh, my family doesn't mind at all <laughs> pouring into me and uh, telling me when I'm a little off track and that's good. And and then I also, you know, it's really important to me. If you hear me talk very long, write, speak, you'll hear me talk about being a learner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really want to be a learner. And, and, you know, as I said, I read dozens of books a year. People sometimes scratch their head, Jeff, at, you know, something, I'll tell them something I'm reading and they'll scratch their head and, because they'll say, well, that doesn't sound like something you'd read, but I like reading things that challenge my thinking. You know, so many people, Jeff, go through life and they they don't want truth. They want validation. And that's in, you know, I don't want validation. I want truth. And so, you know, people go through, they read books that are written by people who think exactly like they do. They watch a news channel of, you know, a news station that, you know, is exactly right up their alley politically. They um, hang out with people that think like them. And I like to be, uh, I like to be, you know, challenged in my thinking and I don't worry about, you know, it doesn't, you know, affect my faith. It's not, you know, and I'm not reading anything that's, you know, just blatantly anti attacking my faith, but, you know, I want to read things that are going to expand my thinking and, uh, and challenge my thinking a lot. So, Bill, what have you read recently that's most challenged you? Oh, boy. I read uh, all kinds of stuff. You know, The um, the Go-Giver, I don't know if you've mm-hmm. read um, that, you know, or you've probably heard of it. You know, it talks about you know, investing heavily in, uh, you know, make sure you're giving more than you're getting. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's important to me is, you know, wanting to, you know, I want to give you know, more than I get. I just finished uh, The Heart of Business by Hubert Jolie, the uh, CEO or the recently retired CEO of Best Buy. And, uh, you know, that was a really, really good book. I, re- I like reading uh, fiction when there was, you know, last year when we were having a lot of social unrest, I read probably a dozen books by, you know, African-American writers mm-hmm. That I, I I wanted to understand, you know, obviously I'm not African American, it's pretty obvious, but I really wanted to understand their perspective. And, you know, I read a book that made, you know, all kinds of different arguments. There are several of them actually. And and but that's okay because I really I know that I've got a paradigm and a perspective, you know, based on my history and background and who I am. And I like understanding other people's perspectives too. So give me the best fiction is a, a, a genre I struggle with. I really struggle wanting to read fiction, but I know I want to. So give me a good fiction book. What's the fiction book I need to desperately read? Oh, boy. You know, one I read recently was The Source by James Michener. And it's actually historical fiction based in the Holy Land. It's historical fiction, but it's some archaeologists that are doing a dig in the Holy Land. And every level they go down in the dig, he tells the story of the people and he ties all they're about three or four five hundred years apart every story and he tells the story of the people that were living there at the time just an interesting uh take on the holy land and and it it wasn't a christian book uh, but it really expanded my thinking on what life was like and we read the bible what was life really like during that time and uh so that's that's just one and uh i'm sure i'll think of others well i'm making a note that'll be useful for me coming up Let's talk about your book. Talk about your latest book, Education of a CEO. So I've encouraged people why they should read Making Life Better. Why should someone read Education of a CEO? Education of CEO is my fourth book and just recently released. And it's just trying to help people be better leaders. I'm trying to use the experience that I've had. And I've had just really, really unusual experience. I've worked and none of this, I hope none of this comes across pridefully because I don't mean it that way. I've had the opportunity to work with a multi-billionaire and you know see up close you know how he functions. I've been to 110 countries. A lot of that was on business and speaking travel. I've worked with a lot of leaders, reading, you know, being an uh, insatiable reader, having experience. I've led multiple turnarounds. So you know, I've just had a lot of really unique experience that hasn't made me a great CEO, but it's definitely given me an education of a CEO. So I just want to share some of that. And so in the, in the book, I deal with a, a number of different, every chapter deals with a different uh, subject and some of my experience and some of the things that have impacted my thinking um, related to that subject. So I, I think, I hope it's helpful to people. You know, I don't make money off book authoring. You know, I, I'll, most people ask, I'll give them a copy, you know, if they can't, you know, they can't buy it on Amazon or something. So it's not something I'm doing to try to make money. I just, I really want to help. I really want to help people, and I'm hoping that uh, hoping that's helpful. Well, when they say the average author pours two years of their life into any given book, from having read this, and it's only 125 pages, I think if you count the conclusion, you've clearly invested, I think, more than two years. So I, I can't recommend either of those and other ones, you know, enough. So what do you, Bill, you're, you're obviously not sitting around ready for retirement or to coast or whatever. I mean, what do you feel like looking down the road – and obviously, it's a day-to-day thing here walking with Jesus. But what do you think is still left as part of your kingdom assignment? You know, I want to continue to build correct craft, not just for financial reasons, even though, as I said earlier, performance is important to that. 
I know that we've got an amazing platform and we can continue to have a, a huge impact. We've had significant opportunities in Washington, D.C. I've invited the White House seven times, you know, going to here in Tallahassee in Florida. And I'm telling, uh, you know, our story to people that, you know, it, it's impactful. And Vice so President Pence keep, came to you, which was neat yeah, to see. He, yeah, yeah he, came, he came here to our factory. And so, you know, I want to use the platform to make life better. I mean, genuinely to help people and to try to serve. And, you know, I know I'm not going to be here forever. I know, you know, plans to retire, but at the same time, I know I'm not going to be here forever. So I also want to invest very, very heavily in the people that are coming behind me. Hmm. And one indicator of my success, Jeff, will be how the company does after I'm gone. Hmm. And, you know, I don't want you know, I don't want to build anything up on Bill that, you know, Bill leaves and everything falls apart. And wow, that you know just shows how important I am. That's just the opposite. You know, I want to me, if things fall apart after I leave, that's a really poor and as a really indication of how poor of a job I did. But things go, I want things to go even better, you know, when I'm gone. So I'm investing really heavily, you know, in our team and, you know, both personally, I do personal coaching, you know, I'm helping them in a, a number of different ways to make sure that um, if I get hit by a bus today, you know, our company is just as good or maybe even better. I can't say how many times in that book, I feel like I heard you or you said how much you love your team and love working with them. And you definitely don't take, uh, you don't seem to have the mindset that you're the CEO and everybody's beneath you. You seem to be like right there in the trenches with people. So our last question, I want to ask you, you know, 2021, we look like we're kind of seeing light at the end of the tunnel. I know just in the last couple of weeks of my life, I've seen a number of things fill close to pre-March 2020. Where is your hope most in the gospel right now going forward, knowing that, you know, the mental health, suicide, church challenges, you re- you referenced race and, you know, relational, social challenges will still be here. I don't think they're going away. They might even ramp up because we might get too comfortable thinking things are back when they really won't be. But where is your hope most in the gospel going forward? You know, I think we've just got to love God and love people, you know, just like Jesus asked us to do. And, and so, you know, as Christians, we just need to serve and, you know, try to serve people. And, you know, the answer isn't in politics and, you know, regardless of, you know, who's elected, and obviously I have political leanings like everybody does, but, you know, as Christians, I think, you know, we need to love God. We need to love people. Let's not look for a political savior. You know, we've already got a savior. We just need to serve. And, you know, we don't want to push people away from our faith. You know, we want to draw people to our faith. And we want them to know that, you know, regardless of who they are and what they've done, you know, Jesus over and over and over again, you know, all through the Bibles, there's second chances, you know, for, not really second chances, fresh starts. Amen. And, you know, as Christians, you know, my hope is that, you know, we won't alienate, you know, more people than we bring to us and that we'll just try to serve people and um, you know, do what we can to try to make life better. Amen. Well, I feel like as we close, being that this is taped today, uh, radio station Shine FM, we need Danny Goki playing in the background, love God and love people. So, well, Bill, it was a real pleasure. I, there's a whole lot more. I left off in the script I sent you with questions, some things we did not get to. And maybe that means a part two is coming and next go round, next season of podcasting, we'll have you back. It'd be great to talk some more and follow up on a missions trip or something like that. 
That'd be great. I appreciate the opportunity and enjoy uh, getting to know you, Jeff. And uh, thanks a lot. Have a great day. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at GatheringMiamiValley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Shine FM Podcast Network.